Are you in the business of making money as a Fortune 500 leader or a small business owner? Do you want a competitive win over your competition? Well, if you embrace diversity, you're off to a running start. According to research from Fundra and Forbes, racially and ethnically diverse companies are 35% more likely to perform better. Meanwhile, the research also indicates that diverse teams are 70% more likely to penetrate new markets and capture new clients. For Jay Williams, he says that his gift will not bring new knowledge because you can Google Anything after all, his gift and specialty is new thinking and deeper thinking, which delivers better results. As an executive coach, Jay helps Fortune 500 companies and small business owners achieve their desired results and outcomes. Through his thought leadership and innovative philosophy and methodology, he possesses significant experience in the field of executive development, leadership, sales processes, analysis, and transformational and client management. Williams believes the overall key and Factor to organizational development successfully is communication and communicating with the people that you want to lead and positioning them in a position of power so that everyone feels that they have a stake in the overall positive development of a company or organizational culture. And Williams joined me this week to tell me more about change management, executive leadership, and how to inspire great leadership and productivity out of the staff that you are in charge of. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. excited to be here. You know, as a speaker, anybody who will listen to you, you always appreciate. Oh, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with a shameless plug. 
<laughs> once or twice, right, Jay? I will take it, my friend. I'll take it. Absolutely. And Jay, I know that you help uh, Fortune 500 companies and small businesses uh, sort of elevate their leadership game through uh, thought leadership. So I'm wondering if you can tell me about all the great work that you do. Yeah, so um, it's here's what I've learned. So for anybody who's listening, you know, you hear Fortune 500 companies and you go, oh, well, I don't have the problems they do. And then you hear small and mid-sized companies and that they, you know, they don't think that they have the challenges um, that companies do. But what I found is that humanity is really scalable. What you and I have a challenge with, everybody has a challenge with. So for people who are listening, they said, you know, are there differences between the two? It really boils down to people. And I think your ability to build this significance and self-worth and sense of belonging in them that will help ultimately, you know, impact um, your, your business initiatives and also create a great place to work at. So anything I do, I want to have a compelling human case and a compelling business case. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm going to share just a little bit about myself. So I was I was born with what's called um, spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy. Simply means that I don't have enough oxygen in my legs to walk normally. But you know, Jay, one of the uh, tenets that I live my life by is that inclusion is the gateway to independence and outside of hosting this podcast, buddy. I, I work with uh, businesses to amplify the hiring of folks with disabilities. So when you think about inclusion in the workforce and uh, infusing more people with disabilities, I'm wondering uh, your uh, uh, sort of roadmap to get that done on a, on a larger scale as well. Yeah, I, I think, um, so when you talk about, there's a movement for anybody who's watching the news on social media about equality, right? And whether it's based on uh, identity choice or race or religion or politics, or what you mentioned is that people have things that they're born with that create unique challenges for them. And I think as an organization that if you have a value of humanity, one, that extends to everyone in humanity. And I think if you have a value of inclusion, it's about including everyone. And so I think for business today, you know, you look at someone like yourself and you mentioned like that oxygen prevents you from, from walking. It's where can you add value? And you look at, you know, your intelligence and how you built this podcast and these topics that are important to you and the value that you're providing in bringing subject matter expertise to people. And so I think for us is that we're going to have to get creative from, from, from a human standpoint, if we believe in equality and inclusion on how we make it happen. And quite often we focus on how it can't happen and and that's really to our detriment to society because you know i'm a faith-based guy and i believe that everybody has a purpose and that god put at least one good quality in every person some people it's a little hard to to find but i think you have to have that belief and so you know as a leader in an organization if you're going to set the tone um is how do you find people's strengths and then how do you leverage those strengths so that was a long-winded answer how did i do 
Uh, you answer the questions and you get an okay. A plus for effort. How about that? I'll okay. take that. I'll take that. Okay, I'll take that. And, uh, and, I, and I know Jen, that you have uh, significant experience in the field of executive development, sales, and you know processes. So I'm wondering uh, how you think those three things are either woven and either connected to achieving what I call business diversification, where all uh, business ideas and practices and uh, perspectives are managed. So how do you think those three principles are interconnected? Um, You ask great questions, by the way. You're really challenging me here. For me, where they intersect is just see the high level is that when you look at business, there's the product, whatever product that you you have or service, there's the process and there's the people. And so to answer your question, where they intersect is with the people, because that's generally the wild card. So whether you're in sales or your leadership, you're selling something, you're selling your influence, you're selling your belief system, you're selling a product. And so I think for leaders, regardless of whether you're in a Fortune 500 company or you're leading your small group at church or you're leading a family, it's about influence. And the influence comes, I believe, with your connection with people. And so you talk about the inclusion part, and if I could speak specifically to that, is I think it requires empathy. And when people show empathy, I think the other person feels psychological safety. And you now lay the groundwork for a relationship. And I think oftentimes where inclusion doesn't happen is where there's a lack of empathy. And so empathy uh, and sympathy to You know, and when I say empathy and, you know, leads to emotional intelligence is just simply your ability to identify and understand an emotion in yourself and others and then adjust your behavior accordingly. And I think if that was a filter, as we looked at, like you specifically talk about leadership and sales and inclusion, is they all require this empathy or this emotional intelligence to not only consider your perspective, but the perspective of other people. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, Jay, I'm also uh, fascinated to ask you, how do you think we can lead with empathy while also being productive? How do you think we strike the, the appropriate balance from those two? Wow, you are good at this, my friend. You're very good. I think that's what everybody's trying to not even a balance now is how do I integrate this? Because there's rational decisions that need emotion. And then there's emotional decisions that need rationale. So probably the easiest example, and I talk about this in my book, is if you go to a hospital, you may have doctors and nurses there on the front line that they want to keep the patient in a little bit because they've connected with them, right? They they have an empathy towards these people. And then you have the people on the top floor administrative. They go, no, we got to flip these beds. We got to stay profitable. 
So you need people in those offices that are thinking rational to have some empathy. And you also need the doctors and nurses who are showing some empathy to have some rational thinking about the business. And so I think that the way that you do it is really primarily based, I want to be careful because it's going to go down a path, is what your values are in the organization. And to realize that they're not mutually exclusive is that you can show empathy, you can have a value of respect, and those extend to your business plan too. Because the reality is, is that these traits that we talk about with empathy, the data and studies have shown that they do impact your productivity. I mean, nobody's going to argue a happy employee is a more productive employee. Nobody would argue that. But when you look at emotional intelligence as it relates to productivity, there's a study done. They said people with a higher emotional intelligence than their counterparts that have a higher IQ, they outperform them 70% of the time. So there is data, there's research that supports that having this emotional intelligence and the empathy is part of your business plan. It is part of your leadership style. It is part of your strategy. So you asked a great question. How well did I answer? You did a round of applause. How about <laughs> okay. that? Okay. <laughs> I will take it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I also wanted to ask you about alignment of your business and your values. Because, you know, as leaders, if you're not aligned with the people that you are trying to leave, then it's, it's more difficult to lead. So tell me about business alignment and how it's related to sort of having human and social capital for the people that you're charged with leading. This is one I get really excited about because you talk about values and, and foundationally, whether we can articulate them or not, we have them. And you can look, there's over 4,400 values. Quite often we hear family, integrity, respect. So that would just be an example, but you could have creativity, you could have inclusion, the altruism, the list goes on and on. And I get asked this question because when you look at what's going on right now in the workforce, and not right now, let's just go back three months when you couldn't find people to fill the jobs, there's another dynamic that was happening at work where people were violating the company's or people's values and they needed to terminate them. However, the alternative, if we terminate them, we have nobody. And it's better to have somebody who service our clients than nobody. And so people would ask me, well, when do I absolutely fire someone, knowing that I may not be able to replace them? And what I would say is, to your point, is when they violate your values. So there's three levels, I would say, is that one, someone can have your values. And if you have the benefit of partnering someone, either personally or professionally, that is where there's probably the most synchronicity, right? Is where you have the same value. Now you need to define it because it could be different. You and I could have a value of family. And if you're like me, my mom was married four times. She wasn't married to my father, but you, your parents may have been married for 30 years, right? So different definition, you could have same sex, you could be adopted. So it's important to have a definition. So that's one where you have the same values. The second is where you have a scenario where people don't support your values. And quite often that's what's going on, or you, you believe you have conflicting values. 
yeah. that not tolerable? Yeah, so go ahead. What are you going to say? No, no, I just thought you were uh, done with your answer, but I will ask you a follow-up in terms of, you know, uh, business makeovers after the COVID-19 pandemic, because I, I think you have a, a real opportunity to reinvent the business world to be more effective and productive. So I wonder, wonder how you look at the business world after the pandemic. Yeah, so before I get to that, I'm just going to finish up the last piece is that yeah, people who don't support your value, they can still stay. Here's where they can't stay is when they violate your values. So if anyone's listening, you ideally have someone, they could have the same value, not even ideally, but that would could produce a level of harmony. They may not support it. I've seen people function and be successful. It's when they violate your values that you want to fire them. So I'd leave you with that as far as what part the values play. As far as, you know, reinventing business, I think everything's changed and nothing's changed. So from a technology standpoint, it's dramatically changed. I think through artificial intelligence, I think through speed to market, there's some things that dramatically changed things. I think there's things fundamentally in business. Um, I think this has changed too. For leaders, you're going to have to be comfortable leading without having the answer. And so it requires a level of humility that may not have existed before. And then humility requires me to say that, hey, I don't have the answer, but I believe you probably do. And between the two of us, we'll come up with an answer. So I think that's changed is because things are changing so rapidly that leaders may not have the answers, yet they're still going to have to step up and step out. I think... Um, even what's been heightened is you're going to have to have this level of mass customization in business. I mean, people want what they want when they want it, how they want it. So it's not only their food, it's their clothing, it's the contracts that they have. And so in business, you're going to have to be open to real-time feedback or information and data and be nimble enough to make the adjustments. And so it's going to require you to have acute awareness of when I need to pivot and when I need to persevere as far as your business model. Yeah, and Jay, I know you're calling in from uh, Pennsylvania this afternoon, and I'm also curious to ask you, what um, role do you think business has to play in moving the needle of societal progress forward. You know, I live in, in Winter, Ontario, Canada, right outside of uh, Detroit. And as you know, on Monday, we had the unfortunate incident at Michigan State University. And, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast originally is I wanted to create a platform where more people had sort of what I call bridges of unity, uh, to bring us closer together instead of uh, finding factions of the world that, that, that separate us. So I'm curious to ask you, what uh, role do you think the business community has to play in preserving or, or upholding uh, societal progress? 
Yeah, I think that it's part of society. It's integral. I mean, there's people involved in business. There's people involved in society. And I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. And so I think as a business, and you know, the data supports it, is that when people um, take this alignment to make the world a better place, that there's a buy-in from the consumer on this. And I think it's a fine line between judging and helping. And so, you know, there, and I don't want to mention any brands out of respect for anybody who, who's listening, but there have been brands that have taken societal stances that have served more of a judgment versus helping. And so I think from a business standpoint, I think part of your vision has to be, am I leaving the world in a better place than I found it? And so this is low-hanging fruit, but for anybody who's familiar with Bombas socks, for every sock you buy, they donate a pair to homeless people because that's the number thing, one thing that's requested. You know, I know some water companies are now taking a percentage or their technology and taking it to third world countries. And so people don't have to walk a full day to get water and a full day to get back. And I think um, um, there's a way to elevate humanity that benefits everyone. Even if you do it altruistically with no thought of return, it's still going to help you. So whether it's educating society, getting them healthcare, getting them fed, and it, it, for it to happen, it can't have these filters of judgment. And so, you know, it's, and I'm not here to co convert anybody. I'm just saying from my beliefs is, I, you know, I'm not here to judge. I'm just here to help. God just put me on this earth to help. So what your sexual identity is, your sexual preference, your religion, whether you get a shot or not, your that's not for me. To, to determine that's not the filter. It's just, can I help? And so I think business, they've already proven they have influence. It's how can you use your power for good? Yeah, absolutely. It's all about uh, paying it forward. You know, I always, when I uh, do some motivational sp speaking, one of the, my, my final messages to whoever I'm speaking to, Jay, is that what are you willing to do to sort of uh, contribute to a better tomorrow, because, you know, I think diversity of uh, perspective is a strength, isn't it? Oh, I, I love that you said that. Even the filter is, what am I doing? Because the reality is, is if you know there's something where you can help, and by the way, help looks all different ways. If you donate once a year, two hours somewhere, and you go, ah, oh, it's not much. It is, because if 100 people do it, it's 200 hours, and volunteering is how things get done. It's just, you don't, I don't think any of us want to look back and have someone say, did you know this was going on from a societal standpoint? And you go, yeah, and say it's your kid. And your kid turns to you and says, oh, well, what did you do about it? How horrible a response is, I did nothing. And so to your point, like even when you're speaking to constantly share this message, Am I leaving you, I mean, even on a micro level, in everything you do, every interaction, am I leaving the person in a better place than I found them? Because I think there's things we can do for people emotionally, too, that have a, a lingering effect and have an infectious um, effect to them as well. 
Yeah, and you uh, describe yourself, Jay, as a student of human behavior who you believe you've been put on Earth to provide insight to other people. So what do we think about human behavior and interacting with people? I I'm curious to get your thoughts on uh, how you define uh, uh, being a student of human behavior, but also how vital relationships are in order to build trust and camaraderie in business. Yeah, I, I think when you talk about trust, um, no one would argue that that is the new currency in which we operate off of. So when you look politically, our political parties don't trust each other. They now have, uh, or they have for years, uh, a rating of how trustworthy the United States is, and we've continued to drop there. Uh, I, I think it's it's imperative that people understand that this trust is a currency. So your awareness of your money, what you have in the bank, what you're spending, uh, what you have to give, is that you're looking at trust the same way. And so I won't do it as well as Stephen Covey did it, and I think he does it as good as I've heard, is he said, you know, the trust is a combination of character and competence, those two things. And so in our relationships, as far as character, there's intent, why you do something, and integrity, do you do what you say you're going to do? And then when you look at competence, it has to do with capabilities, can you do it? And then results, have you done it? And he articulated in his book is that the higher the level of speed of trust in a relationship with a consumer, with a company, with individuals and relationships, the higher the speed in which things happen. So to your point, I think there's a compelling human case and a compelling business case for that. Amy Cuddy, though, that's a social psychologist at Harvard, wrote a book, Presence. And in her book and her research, she she and she did this globally she said human beings instinctually look for two things in every interaction so this is every interaction so whether i go to five guys to get a burger i go to church i go to get my hair cut i'm on a podcast is can i trust this person and are will they show respect so trust and respect are the two things that every human being regardless of where they're located in the world look for so to your point how important is it it's one of the two most important things uh, for human interaction. And so I think business and leaders need to be trustworthy with their people and their people need to be trustworthy. Um, I think companies need to be trustworthy with, that they're going to do what they say what they do with their, their, their uh, clients and, and vice versa. So I hope I answered your question. I think the trust with people and with companies is interchangeable. It's the single most important thing that companies need to measure in their relationships with both their employees and their consumers. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Jay, you know, I'm curious to get your definition of what, what prosperity means to you, both in life, work, and in business. What, what does the word uh, prosperity mean to you? Yeah, you know, for me, and at the risk of someone hearing this and they like rolling their eyes, prosperity to me is that I can give and I can give generously at any given time. And so, um, you know, I think for people listening, you know, for most of us, that hasn't always been the case is we, we haven't been able to give or we haven't given as much as we've wanted to. 
So in my life, prosperity to me is, um, you know, just having the ability to give and to give generously and to give as often as I needed. Um, prosperity is being able to have planned giving, you know, dedicated ahead of time, uh, you know, and um, spontaneously. Um, prosperity to me, you know, from a, a leadership standpoint is um, I think the ability to, to, to give of yourself, I think to be vulnerable and to be comfortable, to operate uh, without um, having the answer, um, to trust your peers, to trust your team. I think when you say prosperity, you know, I think of wealth or, or riches, that's when you're really rich is when there's a high level of trust in your relationships. And so um, from a personal standpoint, prosperity to me is not being in debt and not being beholden. And by the way, I don't judge people. I, I have been in debt and I certainly have some today. It's just the amount of debt you have. Is it healthy debt? And what does it prevent you from doing? So prosperity, I guess, to sum it up, is just having flexibility in, in my resources and in my thinking. And prosperity is allowing me to be my true authentic self, uh, where I'm known, whether I'm accepted or not, it's outside my control, but at least where I'm known. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Jay, Jay you know, living in Pennsylvania, you're right in the middle of what I call sort of the Rust Belt of America. You really have a chance to impact uh, small businesses and, uh, and the, what, I, what I call the heartbeat or the engine of the American economy is a small business. So when you talk to small business people in general, I'm curious how they uh, view uh, the business environment today. Well, what's the word on the ground when you talk to business people about their hopes, their despairs, and what, what do you think needs to uh, sort of be elevated so that more small business people can uh, succeed? I think, you know, if the question's about how these small businesses, what needs to shift in their thinking. And so for me, I don't think knowledge is my point of difference. I mean, honestly, you could probably Google anything I've said and, you know, you would get that information. If I have a gift that people have shared, it's this new, different, and deeper thinking. And I think the reality is, is I've, gone on in life is that things are what they are. They are what they are. It's how you look at it that really determines what it means to you. And I, I think, you know, when you look back and not to minimize any strife that anybody's encountered over the last, you know, 34, 35 months, is that anxiety and Rest for some people, it's become overwhelming and debilitating to them. And again, this is not judgment, it's just observation. And for other people, it's developed perseverance. And the small business owners that I'm seeing succeeding, they've developed this perseverance. They view adversity as part of the plan. They're not surprised by it. And they've historically, when they look back, have seen, for the ones who have survived, is that anytime there is adversity, I, I was more empathetic and I was wiser after that. And so these smaller businesses with whatever uh, recession, inflation, and, and again, I'm not minimizing, I'm just putting them out there. People view that differently based on their, their thinking 
and their past experiences. And so my role is to, one, is not all your thoughts are true. So to understand what they're thinking and then to ask them how true that is. Just to give you a quick example, I was uh, working with uh, a manager and they kept saying to me, I can't go to them. They're going to be mad at me. I can't go to them. They're going to be mad at me. They're going to be mad at me. And so I, I, I knew their leader for a short period of time, but I, I said, how long? And they never, I, they didn't even seem capable of being mad. I asked the person, how bad? How often, when was the last time they've been mad at you? Like I was perplexed. They said, oh, they've never been mad with me. So we were actually dealing with something that was not a truth. It was not, it was a feeling. It was not a fact. And so as I work with small business owners, it's helping them to flush out the difference between feelings and facts and helping them to just shift their perspective and their thinking about what's going on. And the ones that are successful are the ones that see this as opportunity, that they embrace adversity because they know going through it, it will make them stronger. Yeah, and there I want to give you the space to tell me about your book because I know that you've written a couple and I know there are specific messages that you're trying to get out through them. So tell me about your books what they're about and what you hope people get out of them as well. Yeah, so there's two books there. The first one is uh, Leave Your Mark. And, and that one, I just really got all my thoughts out on the, the fact that I think people want something to show for their time spent. They want some evidence, some footprint. I was here on Earth, on this planet. I made a difference. And so I go through the book and, um, you know, I share some things that I believe are the things that whether we can consciously articulate it or not, we are part of us that allow us and give us opportunities. So that, that's the first book. The second book, um, I'll spend a little bit more time on. There's about a five-year gap in between the books and, and, and some things happen. One of the things is people's attention spans shrunk. So in the first book, I have a chapter, then I have an exercise in the back. And people told me, yeah, I read your book. Um, I didn't do the exercises, though. So in the new book, just kind of taking that feedback, I uh, wrote in a way where I assumed the reader knew the information. And I say that, you know what? This won't be new to you. you you've probably heard it before. My question is not do you know it, is are you doing it? And so the book is written so that each chapter can be read in about four to five minutes. There's three questions I include at the end to continue the conversation. And it's, um, you know, uh, management versus leadership, IQ versus EQ, conversation versus confrontation. But it's 24 chapters of these types of conversations. And they're based on the, converse, the, the most common conversations I was having with organizations, with people, with leadership, with conflict, with management. And the idea is that it's a conversation starter for people in organizations, you know, hubris versus humility, that you could hand the book, say, hey, why don't you read this chapter? I'd love to know your thoughts. Because what I'm finding is that people are confrontation adverse, most people, and so they just avoid it. And then they don't have the skills or the confidence to have a conversation. So they're not having the confrontation or the conversation, and there's just no communication. And I think that's where companies, um, they fail um, rapidly. So when there's lack of communication. So the whole idea with the book is, you know, how can everything just really be conversation? So 
if you want to get the book, it's on Amazon. Uh, it's called Leave Your Mark. Uh, it's a hundred percent of the profits go towards stopping human trafficking. And so you mentioned I live in Pennsylvania and unbeknownst to me uh, up until about seven years ago is that it's a corridor for human trafficking in the United States. So I always thought that was a third world country scenario, not here, but someone was good enough to bring it to my attention. So when you do buy the book, 100% of the profits go towards uh, stopping human trafficking. Fabulous. And, and you know, uh, the few minutes that I have left with you, I'm curious to ask you about the the future of sort of organizational development or structure and how do you think business people can erase their attitudinal barriers to entry for marginalized groups? So what do you think is the future of organizational development and how can we have a more Yeah, I think with organizational development, some of the things that were included have gotten redefined. So you mentioned something that you navigate with. Um, and inclusion before is primarily race-related, and maybe it was sex-related, meaning male or female. So I think organizational development now is going to have to factor in. Um, inclusion has a broader definition. I think the skill sets that are needed more than ever are the ones that organizational development is going to factor in. So as an example, when you look at workplace psychological safety, that wasn't even on maybe on the radar a year ago, but not so much. Um, I think the vocabulary of business has changed. So you're going to have to, you mentioned empathy, but before six months ago, no, you know, a study was done. Nobody knew it's the number one thing. We kind of, we couldn't articulate it that they want from leaders. Um, I mentioned the word trust and Stephen Covey kind of put that on everyone's radar about 16 years ago. So now organizational development has a new vocabulary of trust and of empathy. Marcus Buckingham, that most people probably know from the Gallup poll and strength finders has love in the workplace. And so now you have empathy, love, trust. So there's a new vocabulary. And I, I think for organizational development people is that we've disproportionately may have focused on some technical skills and more than ever, we're going to need these human skills. And, you know, what we're now competing against is AI, not only from a consumer standpoint, I do one-on-one -on -one work and group work, you know, that some of you may call coaching and there's a company that has artificial intelligence for coaches now. So as I'm having this conversation, artificial intelligence would give me the next question to answer. So I think our humanity will always be the, our competitive advantage. And so for organizational development is how do we develop these influencers and leaders in the organization that can get people to follow them, that can get commitment versus compliance, where they can go beyond getting people's mental, physical, financial commitment and get their emotional commitment or engagement. So I, that's a long-winded answer. I think for organizational development, these are the factors that are going to justify their existence um, as well within organizations because it'll address the two things that everybody's focusing on, attrition and attraction uh, of both employees and the consumers. Yeah, absolutely. And 
You know, dear, my final question for you this afternoon has to do with your own personal and professional legacy and how you want that to be defined. I think, uh, and I have thought about this, so it's not a canned response, but I want people, one, to say he left me in a better place than he found me. So if I'm working with an organization, I'm working with an individual, I'm very mindful when we get down to the point that I will ask him, am I leaving you in a better place or a lesser place or the same place as when we first started? And I think if anybody said anything is that it was that he gave me new, different and deeper thinking um, in a respectful way, in a way that seemed uh, inquisitive and not accusatory. So just to net it out, that's what, and, and that the impact of my time with them serve to be transformation. And you brought up that word. I mean, I'm very mindful. I, I think inspiration and, and, and motivation have a place. I, I wouldn't qualify myself as an inspirational, motivational speaker. Uh, if somebody said that, you know, the work he does is transformational, there's actually a shift in our thinking and our emotions, our behavior and our performance. I feel pretty good if people said that. Well, it's certainly a, a noble uh, like us to do aspire to, and I think you're off to an outstanding start. Jay, I really want to thank you for your time and expertise in the field of thought leadership and organizational development, my friend. Your work in the space and time on my behalf is most appreciated, and I want to thank you for being here this afternoon. Well, I just want to uh, thank you. Uh, for guys like me, all we know how to do is kind of speak. So for people like you, you can speak and you can give other people like me a venue to share my thinking and my experience. So I'm going to throw that thank you right back to you for giving me this venue uh, to, to, to share that. So thank you so much.